You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this, the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm here with my best brother in the whole world, William Gallagher. And I'm there with you. Hello. It's so nice to be here with you. That's very nice. I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be wary. I'm pausing here because just previously enough, you said no. such nice things. No, and then, then. No, 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 no. I'm truth. only saying good things about you and I, but I am going to tell you depressing things about the state of the world today. Okay, that seems fair. Right. And the only problem is that there's so much to choose from. Okay, please remember, I'm in the UK. Brexit, we've left Europe. Be gentle. What have you got that's worse than that? But some people think that's happy. We, we, can't, we can't ignore that. <sighs> What I was going to say, well, what I'm going to tell you about is potential iPhone production problems. Oh, no, hang on. What? What? Well, let let me go ahead and explain it like this. There is a virus, the novel coronavirus. Yeah. Which has been difficult to contain in China. It has moved across mainland China. And initially... There were uh, attempts to try and contain it by quarantine. There were attempts to extend the Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, and have people stay at home instead of coming back to factories to work. But the the problem is that doing that means that you end up having to suspend operations longer, which means you suspend production. Uh, It actually also means one thing that you haven't mentioned that I'm quite surprised you've left out. It also involves cancelling the holiday I was going to have in China in May. Well, clearly that's the most important part. Never mind that there are people so. stuck on cruise ships that aren't allowed to come into port and and things like this. But uh, actually, William can't take a holiday. Let uh, yeah, <laughs> me feel bad about this. <laughs> I actually have a friend who was working in Wuhan and had to be uh, flown out of it. And she's currently in quarantine. As we record this, I think she's got one more day in these barracks wherever they are. So, all right. Yeah, and it that's could be one worse, of the... But I was looking forward to this. I've never been to China. Okay. I've been a few times. And it's... It's, it's all right for you, then. Well, yeah. But no, it's, it's, it's a good trip. Just make sure that you do it when you aren't putting yourself at risk in the process. Okay. <laughs> that's the quality of information. Well, we no, I... Bit, but. I want you to be healthy, William. I do. Okay. Do I owe you money or something? We'll be talking about that later. Okay, but I'm sorry, we went off. Uh, you're saying the virus is <laughs> well, disrupting so, iPhone production, so, but iPhones aren't out till September. Except that there was this rumor that we were going to have a March release of an iPhone SE two, and you know it's it, there's got to be an iPhone twelve at some point, and if Apple has stopped sending engineers to China to help develop it or work on the production lines or anything like that, then that also has a knock on effect. Right. Now, some of this reporting comes from Digitimes, and Digitimes does not have the best of track records on Apple products or release timing. It has timing. good sources, though, doesn't it? In, tends, um, tends to be a reasonable at examining supply chain. So this is right. somewhere between, you know, I mean, it's talking a little bit about supply chain. So they're good at that, but is it about a product specifically? They're bad at that? We don't know. But the interesting thing is that it's sort of um, – chimes in with what Ming-Chi Kuo has been saying, and Ming-Chi Kuo is a little more reliable, where he's seen significant uncertainty surrounding iPhone production in China because of the ongoing coronavirus. And, and of course, he laid out five different ways that it could impact Apple. Um, 
He's, he's also talked about what he sees going on at Foxconn and Pegatron to suppliers to Apple. So he thinks that Apple's begun manufacturing the iPhone 12 in Shenzhen, and that that factory's had some staff on hand since the outbreak began. Uh, there are alternative sources with smaller out capacity in, in Taiwan and India. Uh, so it's it's possible, although we're going to start seeing delays to products as, as a knock-on effect of this. Things like not having enough materials or labor on hand to assemble things like AirPods, for example. The interconnectedness of all things. I mean, we really have a global... I know we're all very national, America's America, Britain, Europe, whatever, but everything is so interconnected these days, and I'm, normally I think that's great. I mean, there are people who would like to unwind that, but it, it is in generally... Um, been a net positive depending on what you're looking for out of things like some people would say it's not a net positive in terms of uh lifting up everyone out of poverty and everyone making a, a living wage but in in other respects in terms of being able to supply product just in time without having too much production or too little production and being able to supply worldwide there has been a positive so it's it's a de- definitely a part of living in this modern world Point. now mobile world congress 2020 is an event that takes place in barcelona and it's been cancelled. Oh, I I knew it was under threat. I knew some companies weren't coming, but it's definitely off now. Well, so it, oh, companies started saying they weren't going to come. Sony, Nokia, LG, Intel, Amazon started saying that they weren't going to cancel. And and the GSMA, the GSM Association that runs the thing, wanted to continue it. And they'd previously said that they were going to. Uh, they, they'd created a hand-washing policy and a no-handshake policy to try and limit spread. Uh but they've they've just decided not to do it. Uh, it. It really was becoming untenable for them to continue with this many people dropping out. There were some groups that were going to have booths, but were going to do virtual booths where they were going to set it up and do video conferencing at the booth instead of actually being present at the booth. I mean, it's clever, but... <clears throat> but yeah. eh, you know what? I mean, there's no real outbreak of coronavirus in Barcelona. So if you were going to be going to Mobile World Congress and were already fine, then you could mm. use your tickets and go and have a nice vacation in Barcelona. Oh, okay. I see your point. But uh, obviously there were a number of people coming in from all over and just traveling and, and traveling from all over and, and doing poses a risk. Yes. No, I get that. It's just... I can't imagine this is a cheap decision. Oh, no. Uh, is this actually going to endanger the future of Mobile World uh, Congress? They, of course, would tell you no. I would, of course, tell you absolutely. Oh, okay. So how far apart do you think you two are? Well, the way this has played out in years past is that once a, a group sees that they don't need to have the show, or, or participants see that they don't need to have the booths, um, it takes about two years for a show to die off. Ouch. Okay. And the example that I like to, to call back to, and, and like is probably the wrong word, is um, Comdex. Comdex was a show held in America. And oh, good grief, yes. Sorry, I nearly went to it many times, mm-hmm. but I can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh, I, I was working for a very different publication. It was more PC-based. They chose to never send me to Comdex because they saw it as a waste of the free alcohol because I don't drink. Mm. So other people went so they could enjoy it more. It was a different world, but I'd forgotten about Comdex. Yeah, well, so Comdex lasted until about 2003. Why that? Because that was two years after September 11th, 2001. Oh, wow. Okay. What happened with Macworld? 
I mean, I know Apple Macworld pulled out and didn't, it carried on didn't, for a while. So Macworld was a different story. Macworld kept going. Um, so a- Apple gave their last appearance at a Macworld in 2007. They, they did the uh, iPhone and the Apple TV and said, you know what? We don't need to do them anymore. We're going to do them on our own schedule. We're fine. Thanks. That's actually how they killed off Macworld New York and Macworld Boston before that, um, was saying that they were going to do things more on their own schedule. But they they stopped attending Macworld San Francisco, and Macworld San Francisco continued for years after as just smaller and smaller vendors. Right. Well, I never went, but uh, apparently it was all great when you did go. I did Macworld two years in a row. Uh, During the heyday or in this sort of fallow? No, no, no. I never did it it after Apple left. I did it for uh, 2006 and 2007. And I attended one in uh, 2001 or 2002. Um, I, I attended the one where the Flower Power and... No, it was the, the last of the Snow IMAX. It was either Flower Power on Domation or the last of the Snow IMAX. And it was the Quicksilver Power Mac was the one that I attended. It was right. the one where iPhoto was introduced. Oh, okay. God, that was that long ago. Yeah. Right. How the time trickles on by yep mm. i saw steve hand off the canon camera from the uh, stage when it stopped working he was just trying to demo iphoto <laughs> yep so right. i i think mac Ro- mobile world congress mac world congress mobile world congress has probably got a couple of years left if it doesn't come back strong next year that that people will realize that they don't need to send booths that that it's not really uh fulfilling its purpose as a press event when they can do their own launch events it's it's an easy way for a show to die Okay, well, again, I've never been, so I don't know, but it's always sad to see something uh, die off when people work hard to keep running, so I will cross fingers. Well, this this same kind of thing happens to shows all the time. Another example is uh, Baselworld, which is the Swiss watch show. I've never even heard of that one. Mm -hmm. Big, big show in Basel, Switzerland. And uh, Omega left, and... uh, Oh, another brand that I just was thinking about that I've lost in my mind um, decided that they're not going to go. And the show keeps shrinking. It used to be several halls, and now it's down to to maybe a large hall and one small hall. Um, You know, Omega, when they pull out, Swatch Group pulls out, they're pulling out a ton of brands. They're pulling out Tissot. They're pulling out Omega. they're They're pulling out like 10 different brands easily. And that's millions and millions that they don't spend on booth space, and it just kills the show. Hmm. But surely Apple, now that they're in the watch business, they'll take a booth, won't they? Hardly. Hardly. Why would they need to? Okay. They could help out. Yeah. Speaking of things dying off, um, the FTC is demanding info from Apple and other big tech companies about past acquisitions. Surely all acquisitions have gone through um, legal loopholes before. Uh, you, why is the FTC caring now? The you know? the agency is hoping to uncover information that was not reported to the antitrust agencies under the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act. Basically, all these involved companies are going to require to provide information and documents on the term, scope, structure, and purpose of transactions that took place going back all the way to the dark ages of January 1st, 2010 through December 31st, 2019. Okay, so, hang on. Just so I get this straight in my head. These are companies that Apple and other people bought. Yes. At the time they were bought, there there must have been some due process, some kind of thing. But the FTC has reason to believe that uh, something hinky went on somewhere with some of them and things weren't reported, but now will be. Well, because so they've asked nicely. The, the 
FTC's goal here is to understand the acquisition activity and gain some insight into how the firms handle reporting transactions to antitrust agencies. And they're also mm-hmm. looking at, at whether or not these companies are engaging in anti-competitive practices by buying out nascent or potential competitors. Okay, again, that's exactly the kind of thing I would have thought comes up when they're trying to buy. Although, actually, no, isn't there a cumulative thing? If I buy five companies, any one of them isn't a problem, but the the sequence is FTC thinking. Or, oh. or the cumulative effect of all of them. Okay, right. Um, so is this just Apple's got to dig out its old email attachments, hit print, send them over, or is this a bit more involved? Something like that. Now, the, 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 the thing that you need to be wary of when we talk about this kind of story is that the chairman of the FTC has said previously that he's open to the idea of breaking apart giant tech firms like Apple by undoing mergers. Well, that seems ferociously difficult and expensive, but um, if it's the right thing to do... You know, Spotify has claimed that Apple gives Apple Music preferential treatment with Siri and HomePod integration. They also are are unhappy about Apple's 30% cut of purchases on the App Store, including Spotify subscriptions. Um, Tile yeah, met I have with a the problem house. with that. Tile, remember uh, Tile? Uh, yes. Yeah. So they're a little tiny Bluetooth low energy personal locator device. Tile met with House Judiciary Committee's Antitrust Subcommittee in January to talk about their concerns about large tech companies' ability to push out smaller companies out of the market. Because mm, obviously Apple fair. could make little Bluetooth tokens that have um, the, the same kind of U1 locating chip in them that the iPhone now has and integrate that into iOS, and it would make the need for a Tile a lot more clunky and a lot less necessary. Yep, I, that one I completely see. I think Spotify is shouting into the wind and hoping you won't notice certain gaps in their logic. But yes, that one, the tile danger, yeah. that's that's quite valid. I mean, the, the story kind of goes alongside Luna Display and Duet Display, which, oh, yes. which both uh, of them... Sherlocking, that's what mm-hmm. this is. So, yes. so you mentioned the term Sherlock. i got to explain the history of that. Hmm. You know it, of course, right? Uh, would I have used the term without knowing what it means uh, when Never I might be caught out? perish the thought. <laughs> Whoa. No. So uh, in macOS, before it was macOS 10, uh, macOS 8, macOS 9, things like that, there was an application called Sherlock. And Sherlock was an application that allowed you to search the web and search for images and do things like this. And you could even use it for, for well, you know, just base, basic searching like that, index kind of things. It was pretty cool. Not exactly a spotlight, because it wasn't great for your local disk the same way, but it was more for, for searching the internet and things. There was a company called Corelia, and Corelia had a product called Watson. And Watson did cool things like search local movie times. And then... Okay, I don't think I ever used it, so I didn't know that sort of thing, but... Okay, it was great. Search. It was great. And then Apple went ahead and, and at Macworld New York introduced the same features into Sherlock 3, and that's what coined the term that you'd been Sherlocked, was when Apple took your features and made you irrelevant. And this has happened a number of times throughout history, right? I'm going to roll off some some ones that I've got on my head, because I was thinking about this earlier today, I was telling you before we started talking. Um, there used to be a product called Confabulator that made little wedget, widgets that you could sit on your desktop and interact with. And Confabulator was, was eventually bought by Yahoo, but not before it got turned into uh, basically dash cloned by dashboard apple dashboard oh grief who remembers dashboard now but yeah okay, yes yeah uh sandvox was a web editor a what you see is what you get kind of uh, make websites thing yeah like iweb uh well that's the problem sandvox was made by Corelia, the same people that made watson 
They got Sherlocked first with Watson and again with Sandvox and iWeb. Okay. Um, Growl. We have to start sprinkling the word allegedly around here. Can we just do that anyway? Allegedly all of this, but okay. Why is this alleged? This is this happened. This is fact. I witnessed it. Talking about. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, if the accusation is Apple uh, did the, a thing the, to the, shut out a company, then the, that's alleged. The order of that, events. Um, the development of Sherlock, the for order, example, could the, be that's what they would naturally have done. Again, we don't know. Right, right. But no, the, but the order of events is that this product existed, and then this thing by Apple adopted the same features in much the same way. Yeah, but post hoc propter ergo hoc, but, but, isn't it? But yeah. whether or not, there, you know, what, what the motivation was or anything else, but we can see the, the chronology of it. Okay, yes, okay. we can. Yeah. Okay. Growl was an application that created a system notification, system-wide notifications for Mac OS X. And it was rendered obsolete or unnecessary by Apple's notification system in Mac OS 10.7. Okay. I don't even realize Growl was gone, but okay. Ah, see. Sad. Um, Flux, F.Lux, was an oh, application yes. that would use the ambient light around you to adjust your display, which we now, like heard that. now use as Night Shift built into iPhone and Mac OS. Okay. This is a depressing list now. Um, well, that's it, isn't it? There's nothing else. Instapaper. Okay. Instapaper was a, a way of bookmarking things and having them presented in a, uh, a sort of uh, easy reading view. You could adjust text size and things like that. And so you'd store your reading list. It was a read it later service. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. Just, I really thought it still was, but you're telling me I'm. Apple reading list. Okay. Built into Safari, dude. Right. Um, and along the way, there have been other things. Like there was a, an application called iPodder X that had some neat features for synchronizing iPods. It got rolled into the, those features magically appeared in iTunes one day. Um, there, there's all kinds of things that have happened all along the way. And, and you can say that, you know, the, the, the one argument is that um, some of these things should have belonged in the OS all along. That it's, it's, we can go back and forth about what's right or wrong in being Sherlocked or whether something was absolutely Sherlocked or not. But some of these definitely were. Okay. But that was then, and Apple doesn't do that now. And actually, that's the thought. The FTC isn't just looking at Apple, they're looking at everybody. Uh, is, does Microsoft have a record of Sherlocking, do we know, or some equivalent? Um, doesn't get talked about, does it? A lot do. less apparent. But then Microsoft has a habit of announcing these things it's going to do that actually it never does. Uh, but nobody would enter that field because market, uh, Microsoft's already said they, they've got it. Well, so that's an interesting Sherlock. point. That's an interesting point. So um, you remember the story about uh, Cable Sasser and um, Stephen Frank and Panic Software meeting with Phil Schiller and oh, Steve yes. Jobs. Yes. So they had been working and being they were being approached to basically turn um, Audion into what became iTunes. And Apple acquired Cassidy and Green Sound Jam instead. And so after they acquired Sound Jam and made the announcement, they had a meeting with, with Cable and said, you know, I guess you know what became of that. And he was like, yeah. And they said, well, what else are you working on? And, and he said, well, I thought we were going to do something to organize photos. And Schiller or Steve looked across the table and said, yeah, don't do that. Oh. Because okay, iPhoto was coming. That sounded to me like... Um Let's it, be nice. That, that could be viewed as being a favor, but at the same time, it was that, that pre-sure locking you were just saying. Okay. Oh, but no, there's a difference there because uh, I, I'm not as good as you with specific examples, but I remember times when uh, Microsoft spent a big announcement, one of its, the way it does of what we're going to do in the future, and then it doesn't do it. Yeah. Um, so that puts people off doing this. 
but never actually results in a product. At least we know that Apple did do uh, photos. You saw it. I, 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 I used iPhoto, absolutely. Yeah. I used I photos Aperture, back and it was iPhoto. Oh, Aperture, another big story we should talk about some other time. I want to tell you a little bit about ExpressVPN. There are tons of VPN providers out there, and you've probably heard of a couple of them, and some of you may have even used a VPN before. But I, I have to do my research on sponsors. And I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. And here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. And it's really important when they say that they don't log your data. Because, you know, it's, 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 there could be companies out there that would say that they don't sell your data. But if they've logged it, they retain the ability to. ExpressVPN says they don't log your data. They don't have the ability to. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Secondly, speed. I've used different VPNs, and many of them slow down your connection or make your device sluggish. Using ExpressVPN, your internet speeds stay blazing fast. And even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos without lag. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app and click one button to connect. And it's so easy, anyone can do it. And it's not just me saying this. TechRadar, The Verge, CNET, a lot of different outlets rate ExpressVPN number one in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. And use my link, expressvpn.com slash appleinsider today, and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. Visit expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to learn more. Now, we were just talking about Microsoft. You referenced Microsoft. So mm. Mac malware seems to be growing more than Windows PC threats for the first time in 2019. You see, that's just typical, isn't it? The whole industry is going down, but Apple's forging ahead. Apple has more of Coming on strong. Now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Malware, though. Okay, mm, you could do without yeah. that. Okay, so this, this report comes from antivirus software maker Malwarebytes. They tracked what they're saying is a more than 400% increase in detected Mac malware on a year-over-year -year basis. Okay, I need actual numbers. Percent whenever somebody says percentages, I immediately don't trust them. Um, it's it's saying uh, crime with dustbins has doubled in the last year, which means there was one incident last year to this. You're absolutely right. It's like showing you a graph without having one of the axes labeled. What does it mean? Yes. Magnets, how do they work? <laughs> Malwarebytes found 11 threats per Mac endpoint in 2019. 11 up from 4.8 in 2018. Now, where What's do we get a, this? A where Mac endpoint. Well, first of all, where do we get this, this ridiculous 400% increase thing? Well, so 11 threats up from 4.8 versus yeah. 5.8 threats for Windows over the same period. And so that's, um, that's no really increase. the difference, is that Windows did not grow nearly as appreciably as the Mac did. Well, Windows malware drops are just not trying. No, so, wait a second. Hang on. The Mac market is significantly tiny next to the Windows one. Uh, so doesn't that mean this is not really a fair comparison? I'm not, I'm not sure. But what's interesting is that the report says that Macs are becoming a sweet target for cyber criminals doing increased market share at the same time as industry estimates are showing that Apple's slice of market shrank over the past two quarters. So I, I think what's probably more likely is that there's an increase in this sort of fringe software. Malwarebytes notes that Apple's standard macOS security safeguards are more focused on thwarting serious malware than borderline adware and, and unwanted programs. And so oh. it's those adware and unwanted programs that are being allowed to propagate. 
Okay, we still and, don't want them, but right better that so, than something more so, you know, Macs differ different drastically from Windows in ty- terms of the types of threats seen, where we found several different categories and families in our detections of Windows threats. Most Mac threats are, are families of adware and potentially unwanted programs. Okay. The most prevalent Mac threat is called NewTab, and it was a insidious family of adware that was detected nearly 30 million times in 2019. Goodness, okay. Um. And there was another one called PC Vark, which is a unwanted program that took third place on cross-platform detections, ranked second in the Mac category. MacKeeper, that's uh, always told itself, you know, build itself as a system cleaning program, was previously number that. one on Malwarebytes' yeah. list of Mac detections. It fell to the third spot as an unwanted program. Oh, so is that because that's, of people warning about MacKeeper? I'm not sure, probably. All right. Well, it's but, now warned uh, about PC Vark or the, whatever it's called. The, uh, yeah, the only other things that are out there that's sort of in the traditional malware group are are sort of backdoors or crypto miners, where they where people use your computer to mine cryptocurrency kind of thing. Um, they're those topped about three hundred thousand detections, which is far less than the thirty million times that the other ones were. Yeah, okay. I don't believe I've got any of these on the map, but I realize that one, if they're working in the background mining and stuff, I might not know. Um, well, I mean, you would tend to notice if your computer felt really bad and slow, though. Yeah, that's true. And I now, hmm. Malwarebytes, the same people that published this report, do make a free version that uh, scans your computer, and you can use it to, to go ahead and, and find out um, what your computer has, if anything. They're, they have a premium-only right. one that can block applications from even coming onto the computer or protect you from getting the malware in the first place, but I just use the free version to scan things after the fact, and it runs every day and hasn't found anything yet. Most of these kinds of vulnerabilities can be avoided through just safe computing practices, being careful about what it is you download and, you know, thinking about what it is you give your password to when you download things. But having the free application does great. I was, uh, I, without in any way intending to criticize Malwarebytes because I know nothing about them and I've never used it, until you said that, that it, keep, it keeps not finding anything. I think this was like um, the free checkups you get at the gym, which are guaranteed to end with well really you should be doing some cardio two to three times a week at about two o'clock yeah but apparently no they're not trying to just lead you into the the paid one they have not pitched me on the paid one since i installed it Uh, when i click on their menu bar item the the premium only options of which there are two are grayed out but otherwise they don't they, they don't care they've never pushed it at me and it last scanned um honestly minutes ago while we've been recording this and reports no problems cool so you know, reasonable. I, I would never actually recommend anyone need it unless they're experiencing a problem, but it certainly is is uh, pretty good at removing stuff. I've used it to remove things from other people's computers in the past, like MacKeeper. Uh, yeah. Tell me about Apple Pay, William. Oh, actually, I love this because I got out pcalc on my iPhone to try to understand it. Um, there's a company called Juniper Research. There's just lots of researchers, research companies do uh, and uh, this week they returned to a topic they covered before about uh, payment systems previously they have looked at specific things like apple pay and the like this time it was just part of a much bigger thing about contactless payments and according to the writer Susanna hampton i think uh, it looks like that by 2024 the contactless market as a whole any payment through any contactless system will be worth about $3 trillion where it's currently 
worth about $2 trillion. And I kept reading really quite serious reports uh, saying that figure and then this other figure that Juniper found, which is that Apple will get 52% of this market. And there's been this unspoken assumption that that means it's 52% of $6 trillion, and it isn't. So we actually went to Juniper, we talked with the writer and found out uh, some details that were not, they're in the full report you can get, but they weren't being reported. Six trillion is the whole contactless market. She says the market for what they call OEM pay, so Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay and, and a few others, uh, is worth about 22% of that whole contactless market. So Apple's 52%, are you following this? Apple's 52% it's 52% of the 22% of the 6 million. So I was on PCALC doubting my figures for ages right. until I discovered so what it's actually worth. of a quarter of the 686 billion. Oh, you just should. No, uh, half of a quarter is 686 billion. That's the amount oh, of transactions okay. that will See, go I knew I Apple needed Pay. you to help me with this. Oh, my God. Yeah, You've okay. seen that don't make me feel better. You saw me doing the workings out, and I'm sure you were shaking your head at my maths. But Counting fingers answer. and toes, to be honest. Yes, and I got up to 686 billion fingers by the end. You may want to get that checked out. Yeah, well. It kept tipping over into scientific notation, and i got to say, I, I can mean, never read it when it goes into that. I can't work it out. So, Peacock and Wolfram Alpha sorted all this. But anyway, um, this is the amount of transactions that will go through Apple Pay. Uh, interesting point. Juniper does point out that Apple Card is not a contactless payment, but the phone is, the watches, and that's actually another thing. They're, they're charting the rise of wearables that are capable of doing payments and things. As uh, so at all. Really interesting stuff, but I don't know how much Apple profit Apple will get out of uh, $686 billion going through Apple Pay, but I imagine it's quite a bit. It's it's more than your and I salaries. Really? I'm a, wow. a billion an hour kind of guy. I know? guess. I guess. Yeah, that's how I get all, all these Mac Pros in different <laughs> colors. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, so, Fantastic. The, the interesting there is that when they say wearable payments... The only wearable payment that I can really think about is, is going to be the Apple Watch because there have been other contactless wearables that have been meant to do that. But the, the problem is, is that to, to get those things to activate, you have to have them approved by the financial institution. Now, the Apple Watch does um, as a byproduct of Apple Wallet that's already been approved. But, you know, Swatch made one that would do NFC and would do contactless. But no bank wanted to support it. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, for for Samsung Pay, probably you can get by. You you can do the same trick with Samsung Watch. Um, I'm not even sure what Google Pay does in Android Wear at this moment. It's just it's, maybe it's, a, US it's a question to me. I think it's I'm just that's different to us. I, I just think we have that the, a contact the, the and large amount works, of this so is going to be Apple Pay. Yeah. Even today, I was running through London using the not only Apple Pay on my watch, but the uh, uh, Express Transit thing. It's just waving mm. the watch over the turnstile straight through. In the middle of a conversation, didn't even have to blink and do it. It's, uh, you could never go back to cash. I imagine. So the conclusion uh, is Apple's making lots of money. I wonder what they got into this game of Apple Pay. Hmm. To make lots of money. For the good money. of us all, really, probably. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. Mm. So have you looked at your wireless bill lately? It's very uh, likely that you're paying too much. Yeah. You are, aren't you? But, yes, but what price Wi-Fi? I mean, that's, that's what happens. 
you make a billion dollars an hour and then you pay it right back around to your cell phone company. <laughs> yes, it's true. Network coverage is better than ever, no matter your wireless provider. So if that's true, then why would you pay more for the same service? I like the color. That, that must be it. You like that blue O2 color, don't you? This is something about it. Yes. Yeah, it's special. It's very calming. But it's I should tell you about a, the green actually, color. It's a synesthesia thing where people see Wi-Fi signals in colors. I'm sorry. I don't feel that's where you're going. I think there is. But that's not where I was going. What I wanted to tell you about was Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile's color, as you must imagine, is a nice, beautiful, soothing mint green. Mm. But more importantly than than their color is that they can cut your bill down to $15 a month for the same premium coverage. Wow. Now, I know what you're thinking. Is it available in the UK? Well, there's that. But you're also thinking it's too good to be true. Well, you said it. I just believe you. That's really kind of you. But, But Mint Mobile knows what they're doing and they're on top of this i have i have talked with them and i've been using them and um you know they really care about the iphone experience their their service works with visual voicemail for example they they have it together they really do and setup and activation are super easy you don't actually there's no stores to go into they send you a sim kit and it just works you put the sim in the phone and you're done you activate online through a web browser that's that's part of the deal here. Why is it so cheap? It's so cheap because your old wireless bill pays for expensive retail stores and overhead and employees and all of that. And so Mint Mobile reimagined how you buy wireless, and they do it all online and then sell it to you a little cheaper. And they make it super easy to cut your wireless bill down to just that $15 a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text and really fast, crazy fast 4G LTE. And you use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You keep your same phone number. You keep all your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, they have you covered with a seven-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash appleinsider. That's mintmobile.com slash appleinsider. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash appleinsider. I should tell you a little bit about something that's happening in the cell phone market in the U.S. Mm-hmm. We've had... We've we've had for years four major carriers for service. We've had we've had AT and T. We've had Verizon. AT and T was the launch partner for the iPhone. We had Verizon. We have T Mobile and Sprint. Okay. Only one of those, by the way, is known in the UK. T Mobile is a very familiar name here, but uh, I will explain. Isn't. I will explain that actually. So T Mobile is owned by the parent company Deutsche Telekom, or T Mobile as you know them in the UK, and for years. They've been a boat anchor around Deutsche Telekom's neck. Deutsche Telekom tried to get rid of them by having a merger with AT&T and having AT&T buy them. And remember how earlier we were talking about the FTC and antitrust? Yeah. The FCC, the FTC at that time said no, merger not approved. Okay. And they had, and, and right. T-Mobile had to learn how to compete and how to to succeed and make themselves attractive to be acquired. And Sprint is acquiring them. Now, Sprint has a, a sort of lousy reputation in the U.S. Um, they they have done some consumer-friendly practices in terms of cell phone upgrades, but they, they've just not been very great. Their service hasn't been especially wonderful. They've been kind of mixed. And they've done some things that I've found to be anti-consumer and unfriendly, especially around locking and SIM locking and blocking uh, you from using your iPhone when you've paid it off at Sprint with any other carrier. Okay. Things that annoy me, but not everyone, obviously. And so the the judge 
approved, Judge uh, Victor Morena, no relation, went ahead and approved the merger yesterday. And it was interesting that he did so because in, in the court records, there were emails and texts between Sprint and T-Mobile execs talking about how they were going to raise prices once they'd merged. <laughs> okay. Well, they're, and they're the judge, joshing around, you know. And the judge said in his in his decision that um, he saw no evidence for, for why T-Mobile would reverse course on their consumer-friendly policies and go back and, and uh, become anti-consumer, even though they said it directly in those emails and texts. Okay, that's disheartening. Yeah. So what's going to come out of this is that uh, Deutsche Telekom no longer has to have uh, ownership over T-Mobile, that it's going to merge with SoftBank, with Sprint owned by or invested in by SoftBank, um, and, and the two of them will become more powerful together. And because the judge wants to see continued competition in the, the space, they have to give one of the, the smaller budget levels of Sprint, which was Boost Mobile, um, to DISH Network, which is a satellite TV provider, and that DISH is supposed to be an MVNO of this new merged entity for the next seven years. And then after that seven years is supposed to become their own cell phone carrier and put up their own towers and network. NVNO, did you say? I don't know what that means. Mobile Virtual Network Operator. It's, uh, an MVNO <clears throat> is, is anyone who wants to sell cell phone service and act like a cell phone company but not put up towers. And so what they do is they partner with one of the big carriers and buy the ability to do this the license to do this and they put out their own sim cards and you know people pay the bills to them and then they pay pay the bill back to the the main operator and there are a number of them there are a bunch of them and they tend to do things like be lower cost or have better data plans or or different little things that make them appealing and you're you're basically using the signal from the big guys towers What's interesting here is that the judge says that Dish has seven years as an MVNO, and then they have to become their own carrier. But being an MVO is a lot more affordable than being your own yeah. carrier, because putting up physical towers and infrastructure is really expensive. Uh, do you uh, think that um, it might magically not happen in seven years' time? For any reason? I'm, I'm suspicious, yeah. Okay. Well, you see, that's why you're not a judge. <laughs> that's why I'm not a judge? That was the yes, reason. no Thank other you. reason. Yeah. Not, none at all. Well, only about the merger. I think I'm sorry uh, about the detail. The judge should uh, approve that. And there's one more step, isn't there, in California or something? But I, I didn't appreciate any of this stuff uh, about uh, the internal emails and things. So uh, you said at the top there were bad things in the world, and I'm disheartened now. Well, I mean, John Ledger is the the fellow who really took over T-Mobile after the last merger, the AT&T merger, was not approved and turned it into the powerhouse that it is with the public reputation that it is of being consumer-friendly. They, they have had a lot of initiatives that they've named Uncarrier to be the opposite of what everyone else in the business is doing, to be consumer-friendly. Right. And the, the thing, it, it seemed like the judge really likes John Ledger and liked his policies, but what he, he didn't take into consideration or maybe didn't consider the same way I would have considered is that John Ledger isn't going to be there in this new merged entity. Ledger's leaving, and his chief operations officer, Mike Sievert, is becoming the head of this combined entity. And between the idea that an operations guy is, is going to be in charge, as opposed to the sort of maverick that was, that was trying to beat up the, the bigger carriers, yeah. in combination with those emails, just does not give me the sense of optimism that I like. Okay. Well, let's not swap to uh, T-Mobile until we know. Well, 
well, things will shake out a little bit. The other thing about a merger is that any time that there's a merger between two big companies, expect it to be really rocky for a, like a year or two while they hammer things out. Because they've got competing billing systems. They've got competing inventory systems. They've got all of these things. And, and in the case of T-Mobile and Sprint, competing cell phone signals, like they're both, they're both on LTE, but they got different frequency bands and all kinds of stuff. So it's going to take a while to hammer it all out and get it all unified. Yeah, okay. Well, they'll earn their money there. Yeah. You want some more phone news? Um, I think so. Yes. All right. Hit me. There was a, there was a company called Essential. Essential oh, yes, yes. Made, a, made a phone, which was called the Essential Phone. And they also made uh, a service called Newton Mail, and they were going to make a thing called a gem phone. Well, Essential was founded by Android co-founder Andy Rubin, who, before he did Android, was, was actually on the Sidekick, which was one of the early sort of connected devices, pre-iPhone. Oh. And okay. a bunch of those Sidekick people ended up over at Google and and basically made Android. And now Ruben has a, a checkered past, let's say kindly, um, in terms of his alleged treatment and, and regard for uh, women. Hmm. I didn't want to let that pass without noting it. Hmm. But Essential is shutting down. They're never going to, they, they had the Essential phone, which had been receiving updates, was upgraded to Android 10, um, was, was continued to give security updates as recently as like the last week or so. Uh, they'd shown pictures of a thing called a gem phone, which was a longer, slimmer, narrower phone, which had a really awkward keyboard arrangement because the thing was so squished and narrow. And they've posted oh, a blog post today yeah. saying that they're just never going to do it. They're never going to ship. Have they been Sherlocked? Well, not precisely, but they were one of the only companies out there whose goal was to ship a phone with stock Android, basically, as the best vision of what Android should be. They, they, this thing was a QHD display, edge-to-edge. Edge. It was ceramic. It was titanium. It was a beautiful phone. I, I bought one for my dad, actually, because he doesn't want an iPhone. And in terms of phones, it's a, it's a fantastic phone, and it received updates. It was an Android phone with stock Android that received updates. And the only other phone okay. out there that you can point to that does that is a Google Pixel. Okay, I get that. So, But it is no more. It is no more. Okay, I'm sorry for your dad. Yeah, me too. It's, it's, this is twice that I've recommended something that, that he's had to deal with this kind of thing on. The first one was a Motorola, where Motorola promised they were going to give updates forever, that they were going to keep maintain uh, stock Android and, and give updates for like within three or four years. And after the first year, they said, nope, pass. Okay. So I don't have a great track record with Android phones and my dad. No. 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 Can't help you there, really. Not at all. <laughs> And uh, besides the the essential phones shutting down, they'd acquired a company called uh, Newton Mail. Newton Mail is also shutting down. Oh, Newton Mail makes me think of the Apple Newton from years it ago. Does. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. I have some no of those Newtons. There. No. I used to have, well, Angela used to have one, my wife. Um, yes. I quite yeah. like that. On now, I know that you are a big video game player. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's me. Oh, yeah. A joystick and... Uh, can't even think of the name of a video game but yeah let's let's say me halo heard of that one yeah. i i know that you go on world of warcraft campaigns world of warcraft that's that's what i was trying to think of okay uh, campaigns of it mm -hmm. i vote for world of warcraft absolutely i raise you, money you, yeah for, uh, yeah that's yeah those anyway my weekends anyway yeah. microsoft is launching a gaming service 
called xCloud. It's the Microsoft Xbox cloud gaming service. And the point of it is to enable users to play Xbox games on their smartphones. Does that include iPhones? It does. So is this Microsoft Arcade then? Well, it's it's Xbox games. So whatever Xbox games I guess you'd have in your Xbox gaming account would be streamed from Microsoft's Azure Cloud Computing Centers. Um, okay. Microsoft I announced Xbox is very good. Is that am I right about that? Yeah. I mean your your choices are basically uh, Xbox, Switch, and PlayStation PS4. Right. And yeah, Xbox is is definitely a reigning champion, and Switch is really really popular for some games and definitely more mobile games, portable gaming in a way, because the Switch console is designed to be portable. Um, but this business about uh, working on smartphones, you said the um, Azure service. Uh, am I? Is it like using a remote control into a computer on my phone? It's it's like streaming the the game from there and then running on your hardware. I think so. They've opened this up for testing. They've got a test flight application for iOS where players can try out Halo Master Chief Collection. Okay. Now, it's only open... The test flight is only open to people who live in the U.S., U.K., and Canada at this time. It uh, is not like the Xbox game streaming app on Android. The iOS test flight is for Project xCloud only and doesn't contain Xbox console streaming. Okay. And the the difference there is... is, uh, you know, with, with console streaming, you could be streaming from your Xbox in your house to your phone. With xCloud streaming, you're streaming from Microsoft's cloud services. Oh, okay. That's a significant difference, isn't it? I can think... That's why we talk a, a about these things. Yes, yes. Now, the test is a limited group. There are 10,000 testers that will be invited into the first round of testing. Invitations are first come, first serve. And you may also be cycled out of the program. So even if the queue is huh. full, you should apply yeah. for later rounds. And what you oh, need... I've signed up while you're talking. Yeah. I know, I know. What you need to do this are an active Microsoft account linked with your Xbox gamer tag, an iPad or iPhone running iOS 13, uh, a device that has Bluetooth version 4 on it, a Bluetooth-enabled Xbox One wireless controller, right. and Wi-Fi or mobile data that is at least 10 megabit down bandwidth. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to do this, am I? Really, but um, it sounds I interesting know, if you are I a know. gamer. I mean, I can see you playing master i can see you driving the warthog around halo but if you are totally into this this is this is something you should try and sign up for even if you don't get into the first group it's possible you'll get into a later queue into a later group i completely agree i've just no idea what the hog thing is you just mentioned but it's warthog warthog it's a vehicle in okay it's a vehicle in the game (laughs) oh so you get a vehicle you don't have to walk Uh, okay you know what the Marines are as an armed force, right? Yes. They're an old version of the Space Force, yeah. This, this, Well, this is the Space Marines. Okay, right. Does that help explain it a little bit? It's very clear. It's just, uh, I've got to say, I'm not in any way knocking games or gamers. <laughs> Who knows why uh, these things just don't do it for me uh. at all. I'm also not interested in sports. So that it's all much for much to me. So I get the interest. Um, it's just, it goes so over my head. So just ignore me with games. I play Sudoku. Get off my back. Right. Well, that's I'm all we've sure got for this well. episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. William, when you're not playing Sudoku, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, King outside a Microsoft store to get a Warthog Xbox something, <laughs> oh, or on Twitter as W Gallagher and email as William at AppleInsider.com. What about you? Have you got your, your joysticks in your hand even as we speak? 
I I do have my Bluetooth enabled Xbox One wireless controllers. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm V Marks on Twitter. You can find me here at Apple Insider and also at wristwatchreview.com. We will be back next week. <laughs>